Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Peter Cease, the award-winning author and illustrator behind dozens of children's books. Cease is the recipient of three Caldecott honors, for Starry Messenger, Tibet Through the Red Box, and The Wall, Growing Up Behind the Iron Curtain. In 2003, Cease was named a MacArthur Fellow, and in 2012, he received the prestigious Hans Christian Andersen Award for illustration. Cease's latest picture book is The Pilot and the Little Prince, The Life of Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. The book is being published in late May by Francis Foster Books at Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, which is sponsoring this podcast. In the book, Cease traces the life of Saint-Exupéry, including his childhood dreams of becoming a pilot, the realization of those dreams delivering mail by plane, and the eventual creation of the book for which he is best known, The Little Prince. Thank you for speaking with me, Peter. That's a pleasure. So was The Little Prince a book you yourself uh, read as a child? Yeah, so that was uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this book, because I read Little Prince as a child, and then I thought it was a book about how wonderful life will be when I grow up, because I read a book in Prague, the sort of dark times. Then I read it again when I was uh, just coming to America and it was about how to be brave and how to deal with things. And then I read it again to my children when all of a sudden I was thinking, oh, this is a very sad book. So it's amazing that just in one book, I would see it uh, in different lights uh, through my life. And as a child, I wasn't really interested to wrote a book. I was just like really intrigued by Dear Little Prince. And gradually I started to hear stories about Antoine de Saint-Exupéry and I started to look into his life and I realized he was an amazing adventurous man who was a pilot and who was explorer and who was a dreamer and seeker and I sort of admired him and I was for a long time trying to figure out how to do story about him without directly using Little Prince or uh, using his illustrations just to pay tribute to him as the author. Now, have you been working on this particular book for some time? Was it a, was it a long process? This was sort of a long process because I didn't know which way to, to go about it. And I think the major breakthrough was when uh, I found out, actually, through my father, who uh, is now past, uh, who told me that San Exeperi lived in New York on Center Park South, actually, in the house next to our friend, and uh, that he could never learn English. He, he was in New York for two years, but never learned English. And he was a very social man, and he somehow was missing the the human contact. And from that whole frustration, he he wrote this beautiful book about Little Prince and painted uh, illustrations uh, with the watercolors he bought on 8th Avenue and 57th Street. So I had this whole thing as... Uh, me coming to New York and not having friends or not being able to communicate that I could understand his sentiment even he was just able to write Little Prince in two years I've been here now 30 years and I still didn't sort of write anything of of, uh, that sort of importance Now as you were reading about uh, Santa Zuperi and his life uh, did any particular details or exploits uh, come as a surprise to you? I was surprised that I always thought like when I was a little boy and read a book and his name sounded like so wonderful and, and noble and I thought he was a writer and poet and artist and then I found out he was really a wonderful, uh, friendly man and, and who was most of all, he was born and grew up just like the airplanes were invented. He grew up with the airplanes, with the very simple and primitive airplanes in the beginning and he was most of all pilot and, and sort of wanted to open new horizons to 
to aviation. And, and on the side, in the evenings and in the afternoons, he would write short stories and longer stories. So he really became writer just because of his love of, of flying. And then I also love the idea that he was flying with other pilots who he made heroes of his books. And some of these pilots didn't quite like it to be heroes of the books, but really flying and, and uh, opening new new ways how to do it was, was everything for him. And he believed that the airplanes are invented to make life of people uh, better. And he discovered new airfields in Africa and in South America. And he was just amazing, amazing adventurer who really flew and sometimes crashed. And, and then he recovered again and he flew again. And he, he was just a wonderful spirit of, of a human being. Did you find that you needed to leave a lot out uh, in the interest of creating a narrative that would work as a picture book? Yeah, I think it's true with most of my ambitious books that you just cannot fit everything in. And I think I had to, I wanted really to focus on, on him as a sort of history of flying in that time, history of writing. Also, I wanted to make sure for uh, young people because he, he was... Uh, he always wanted to be a pilot, but it wasn't so easy to go through all the schools and become a pilot. So it's a whole sequence of him going to different schools and how he made all that possible. And then his belief of going to Africa and South America and, and crossing the oceans that he uh, believed in his dream until the very end. In fact, when he's in New York and writes Little Prince, he's not able to fly and he's missing that terribly. And then he enlists again in the uh, French, uh, free French uh, Air Force, and which flies with the American and English Army from North Africa, and that's where we see him for the last time. It does seem that uh, with the way you approached uh, the artwork for the book, with a combination of these large, expansive paintings, but then also these small, sort of pointillist images, it sort of let you uh, include bits of uh, biographical information that might not otherwise have fit? Yeah, I think it was the balance when I wanted to have these, like I was always thinking, how is it to be up there in the plane? How to, how do you feel when you are in open cockpit? Because Exipari himself said, he said, I feel the happiest and I feel the most free when I'm up in the air. And I, I'm not, of course, pilot, so I, I can only imagine when I fly on the, you know, airplane, how it must feel when you are up there and it's quiet. So I wanted to have these quiet places, but then of course it's, life was so full of adventures that I had these pages when I was trying to fit all the information which I thought is important and didn't really have space for everything for his brothers, sisters. Uh, it's always the decision when you try to follow just his life and try to imagine what he was thinking. So I have like three or four quiet places uh, trying to imagine what he would see or what he would think. Speaking of uh, flight, you pay very close attention to some of the many planes that he flew over the years. Were you already an existing uh, fan of aviation before you started working on this book? I love the images of the of the airplanes and of the old airplanes, but never I realized that he really being born in 1900. He just grew up exactly in the time when the airplanes became uh, more modern and they were sort of evolving with his life. And wonderful stories about him are that he started in the time of aviation when he could get in the plane and just fly any place he wanted. And when he comes to New York, then I think he's going to Washington and he doesn't even take a map because he thinks he can just follow the train tracks and then he's being told you can't do that you have to ask for permission to fly you have to ask for permission to land and I think his whole life the history of the airplanes he used which I show in the book is like he starts with the airplanes which have no brakes uh, open cockpit uh, 
terrible noise. And he basically, the last plane he flies in, in the Second World War is a very sophisticated airplane already with many, many, many controls. Uh, and he needs oxygen mask, and, uh, which is very close to the airplanes we have today. Mm-hmm. Now, in the book, uh, you mentioned that when Antoine traveled to New York in, in 1940, uh, he found it overwhelming. Uh, was that also your, your initial experience of living in New York in the 1980s? Well, this is the when I'm really what as the author or uh, artist of the picture book I'm using him because uh, he said it was a very busy place but I wanted to show my own sentiment when I came to New York that it was uh, and still is very uh, busy place uh, some people call it the city which never sleeps so this is why I have this image of the Manhattan as an alligator because when I came to New York in the 80s there was this story about the alligators or crocodiles coming from the sewer so I used that image for, for the double spread about New York so I believe this is uh, one of the last books that your editor, uh, Francis Foster, had acquired. Um, you've been working with her since the beginning of your career, right? Right. So this is very, very special that way because it indeed was one of the books we worked on with Francis Foster. And um, we brought it almost to the finish when she retired. And uh, that made it very special because all of a sudden made me realize that I worked with Frances for 27 years and she's such a wonderful, noble and gracious person that she made all these projects which are special to me. If it's the Christopher Columbus book or if it's Starry Messenger, Darwin, Tibet, The Wall, she made all of them possible. And every time I would bring her some idea which seemed to other people completely irrational, she would give it time and think about it. And it was the same thing with... Uh, Sun Exupery that we were thinking about it for a long time and and I uh, was approaching it from different different uh, angles and perspectives and and she would give it so much detail and I still look at her notes in, in the book when she's asking the questions and I'm still trying to answer those questions so I'm very proud that this is uh, Francis Foster book and that uh, it carries her name and um, when you look back at those 27 years uh, can you see an evolution of your relationship as you know uh, author and editor and did, is that something that progressed and developed over time? I think it's something like like that you actually for anybody who does anything, it's just like she was really an enabler. She was like my portal. I, I was so not aware of it. I thought I'm so special and so amazing and she's just being there as an editor. But now I can see that how she made all kinds of things possible and things in in such a way that, that I wish for everybody who does uh, something creative, if it's writing, painting, film, to have somebody like her because she was Oh, she is from the school of uh, the editors of the old, like Ursula Nordstrom or Susan Hirschman or Margaret McElderry. And she has a grace and behavior and she would listen. And sometimes I can see now I was unbearable. I was probably upset or I was thinking too much about myself and she would be always very gracious and she would slowly she was like a captain of the ship and it's interesting because she's from the family of the Starbucks from the Moby Dick from Nantucket mm. and she would sort of steer me always in some direction and and I think anything I accomplish which is of some meaning and if I look back now I can see how all the books I 
did with her of some meaning that she was really very quiet, very sort of, uh, but forceful uh, captain behind all that. And she made it possible because if I would be on my own, I, I would probably solve this truck. So she, she made it all possible and, and she's really the most amazing person. When you uh, go back to some of those earlier years, uh, starting to work in children's books, what was the the community uh, of that world like in New York City at that period? Were you, were you close to other writers and artists during that time? Well, there was one thing that we would there would like be all these places you would meet with other people, with the writers and with the artists. Because I did lots of stuff for New York Times, so you would come to the ninth floor and there would be artists sitting there. There would be lots of lectures. I remember lectures of like Arnold Lobel and Anita Lobel. There would be lectures of Tom Younger. So you would meet other people because there was no other way of communication. We were all part of Graphic Artists Guild, so we would be meeting there because there was no internet or no way of really getting together. So we would also meet in the restaurants and bars and and then everything sort of changed I think with uh, the lucky event of the wall coming down because there were lots of artists from Poland and East Germany and Lithuania and lots of people decided to go home and my fellow countrymen and at that time I was already married to a wonderful American woman so it was very difficult to like what am I going to do we were about to have the first baby and then things started to change but also it was the 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 publishers themselves all these wonderful powerful mostly ladies who were publishers and people it somehow seemed to be world which i could navigate much better than now when you don't really see people in person that much as you used to in that time and I think everybody had much more of a personality and imprint on their books. If it was, I started with Greenville with Susan Hirschman. Then I did like one book with Margaret McElderry, who was a wonderful woman. Then I was sort of met Francis and Francis Foster gave me the first chance to do illustrations for a book by Julia Cunningham. And then slowly she gave me a chance to do my first own sort of illustrated book. And all these things were happening sort of slower. And, and I remember how I was getting these little, like it's so unusual today that she would send me a little letter in the slow mail. And she said, it gives me a great pleasure to offer you contract for your new book. And it was like so official and sounded so wonderful. Or if I would go see Susan Hirschman, she said, and I would tell her I have a new idea. She would look at my idea and she called her secretary and said, how much did we give him last time? And she said, oh, we gave him like, it was something ridiculous, like 200. And she said, okay, we will give you 400 for your new book. And I was so happy because it was like this personal contact, which made you feel like you are very special and, and you just very jumping for joy going home and um, so it was a special time like that mm. now it was just two years ago that you were given the the hans christian anderson right. award uh, what has that experience uh, been like that was very strange especially when you look at the list of people who got it in the past because i had three of people who taught me my first professor in prague Yuri tenka was the second recipient of hans christian anderson award quentin blake who was my teacher in a uh, tutor in london uh, got it and then i'm very close to or admirer of tommy anger who who got it and so this was and maurice sendak of course who's without him i wouldn't be in the children's books because i came to this country to work on animation 
And then somebody sent my pictures to Maurice Sendak on the East Coast. I was in Los Angeles and he called me and said, so you want to be in children's books? And I never thought I would want to be in children's books. But when you are broken in Los Angeles and Maurice Sendak calls you, I said, sure, I want to be in children's books. So he's also, so I had all these people, all of a sudden I started to be afraid that I don't have many years left to live because like all these people are sort of uh, almost gone. So going forward, uh, do you think, are you still interested in, in continuing to illustrate uh, the work of other writers uh, like you did with uh, The Magician's Apprentice or The Dreamer uh, recently? Yeah, very much so. If, if, if something speaks to me, like, like The uh, Dreamer, for example, wasn't at all expected because it came from Scholastic Publisher I didn't work with until then, uh, from uh, Pam Munoz Ryan, who I didn't know. And it was just like so powerful when I read it that I said, I want to do it. So I like this. I like I like the inspiration from outside. I, I'm open to it. And for a long time, I thought the profession of an illustrator, actually, which was new to me when I came to America, it's very humble and very amazing uh, profession of people who are trying to take a text and maybe uh, just uh, improve it. It's all almost like somebody who's singing um, wonderful uh, opera and you have just somebody playing the piano. I, I, I think it's sort of very exciting time for me because I think if I do my own books, I get so fully emerged in it. And sometimes I might not be right, but it's very interesting to work with other people and I hope it will happen again. Sometimes the other people can get difficult. So then I found out when I did books of uh, Goethe, Faust for Germany, or I did Boris has um, that sometimes an advantage to work with the authors who are not here to talk back to you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and now, of course, you yourself have created books now about Santa Zuperi, uh, Galileo, uh, Charles Darwin, and others. Um, are there more lives that you think you'd still like to write about? I know. It was never the plan that I would be doing something like this. I think it all started that I came from the country, which was living living in the country when, when we were not allowed to travel and we were dreaming about going places and explorers and dreamers. So I would always try to come up with somebody who dared to do things people didn't uh, think about until then. So that's how really Galileo came and then 10 years later Darwin which I would have never finished without Francis Foster because it was just so much information and I gave it up a few times and she always came and pushed and pushed until the book was done and then if I look back now I have like number of people I was dealing with now with San Exupery but I think I'm using the other people as a metaphor and I always thought with my children being small or speaking to schools that some kids are told oh you don't know anything and you can never accomplish anything and I think all these people prove and show that maybe they were not amazing students who got into the best colleges but they still accomplished amazing things and nothing could could hold them back and I think that's the important message for me so I don't have plan about somebody else but there are always people I can look at if they are in science, in art, so if it's somebody like Marco Polo, I still would like to use them as tell some sort of story. Because I feel in the same time I can amuse myself as an artist, but I can also teach somebody some lesson of history or uh, importance of, of, of believing in yourself. Well, uh, congratulations again on the new book, and uh, thank you for speaking with me. I appreciate it. Once again, I've been speaking with Peter Cease, whose latest picture book is The Pilot and the Little Prince, out in May from FSG. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. 